All right, the past few weeks we've been talking about this deal about dreaming and doing, and just to kind of catch everybody up, we've said, one, that God has a dream for everybody, and we've, there's all kinds of different terminology, it all means the same thing. God has a plan for you, a future, a hope, good works for you to do, God's will for your life, whatever, it's all the same thing. The idea is that there's something that God wants for you to do. He's created you and he's created this life, we're calling it a deal because that's shorthand for all of that stuff. God's created you and he's created this deal for you and they fit. You and your deal fit together perfectly. It's going to suit you well when you find it. So that's one thing and we've said that it's God's deal. It's not, it's for us, but it's his, he initiates, he determines. We discover and we do, but God determines. And so it's not a matter of us going out and kind of making our own way. It's a matter of discovering what is God, what is this thing that God has created for us to do. And the last thing we said, we said that our deal is part of a much bigger thing. It's not about us. It's not about us getting rich. It's not about us being happy. It's not about us being successful or famous. Any of those things might come along, and that's great because God gives good gifts, but none of those things is the point. The point is God has a deal with a capital D that he's about, and our D with a little deal fits into that bigger deal. It's about God's ultimate plans and purposes for the world, and we all fit. And last week we looked at all, remember we just talked about this, I just worked that dead horse last week. We talked about the same thing over and over again. And we talked about being a brick in this building that God is building. We talked about being a team, a member of this body or this team. And we talked about the tribe that you're called to. All these different images that mean the same thing. We've got a role to play in this plan that God has. So your deal and my deal, they all fit into this bigger deal. I thought of another picture. This is not in the Bible, but I think it's true. If you've ever put together a puzzle, um, it always helps to have the box top. These are the type of puzzles we have at our house. So, one hundred. I'm better than a hundred pieces, by the way. So I can do more than that. Don't <laughs> infer anything about my intelligence from the fact that I have a hundred piece puzzle. So we've got a box top. If you've ever tried to put a puzzle together without a box top, it's not easy. Like if you've done it once before, then you kind of have the mental box top. But if I just handed you a Ziploc bag full of pieces and you didn't have a box top, it's not that easy. Now, you might be smart, and you might be able to figure it out, but the more pieces there are, the harder it's going to be for you to determine if you don't have something to go on. This box top, this is God's deal with a capital D. This is the big, he, there's something that he's trying to do in the world, and we've talked about that before, and even more applicable to, to us, there's stuff he's trying to do in Marietta, there's stuff he's trying to do in Cobb County, in our community. He's got a box top. Now, we can't see it. We have glimmers, we have ideas, we know some of the generalities, but we don't know the specifics, so just keep that in mind. But he does. So he's trying to do this. And inside this box, there's all kinds of pieces. And each one of us, when we do our deal, and when we try in in our quest to become more like Jesus, we're a piece that God can place that ultimately is getting us upside down ultimately is getting us, I don't have enough hands, ultimately it's getting us here. So this is you doing your deal. You're this top piece. And as you do your deal and as you every day say, you know what, I'm going to try to become more like Jesus and I'm going to engage in the thing that he has for me. What that does is you're giving him a piece that he can put on the, you're giving him a piece of the puzzle that he can lay out. Now, what gets frustrating for us, if you've ever done a puzzle, it's hard at the beginning when you only get a couple of pieces, especially if they're middle pieces. It's hard to see 
the scale and how things are going to fit together. And that's where we find ourselves a lot of time. We think, well, I'm doing my deal over here, but I don't think anybody else is, and it's just not working. Nothing is changing. And okay, but God's the one putting this whole thing together, and if we'll be patient and we'll trust Him, eventually there'll be more pieces, and at some point I think we'll reach a critical mass, and I don't know what that is, I have no idea, but I think that we'll reach a critical mass in our community of enough people doing their deal that we'll, be, we'll begin to see a difference in the community. I think we'll actually be able to see things out there on Wednesday morning that will be different than they are now. And that's how we'll know, okay, that it's coming together. And then we'll be able to see the box top in a little bit clearer. Right now, we can't see it. We can guess, and there's some things that we can know from the Bible and who God is, but we don't know the specific details. But as God begins to put us, we're the pieces, as he begins to place us around, and it's not just us, it's everyone in this community who's, who is his, as he begins to do that, we'll begin to see this thing happen. I think we'll reach a critical mass, and there will actually will be a difference in our community. At this church, we call that community transformation. That's our vision. We never talk about that, because that doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's big and it's intimidating. And what we talk about is our role. This is what I want you to, I want you to focus on your piece of the puzzle. And if we all do our thing, if we're all doing our deal, then eventually this whole thing will come together. So that's my puzzle. Hopefully that helps you get a grasp on what we're talking about. Last week, if you were here, many of you were at the end. We closed the service with these note cards, all of these note cards. Um, what we had everybody do was write their deal down as much as they understood it, and then I had you tell me how confident you were that, yes, this is it. On a scale of 1 to 10, we, we said no fives because fives are for sissies. So you're either a 1 to 4, you're a 6 to 10, and then we had your level of engagement, how engaged you are on a regular basis doing this deal. Again, 1 to 10, no fives. And then on the back, we wrote down one thing that we were going to do, one concrete step we were going to take last week towards engaging our deal. Did anybody do that? Pretty good. Pretty good. We'll get testimonies soon. If you did it and you... I heard testimony from somebody and it was good. I want to know. So um, let me, if, if you're beginning to engage, just send me an email or pull me aside afterwards. We want to begin to kind of collect a record of what God is doing. We had 113 people respond. We had about 160 people here. 113 responded. That's Okay. So we had 70% of the people responded, 30% didn't. And this was kind of the the thing that I pulled away from it. 97 people, that was 86% of the people who responded, were either confident or very confident in their deal. They were somewhere between a 6 to 10. So that means the vast majority of the people who responded, they know. And maybe that's why they responded, because they had something to write down on their card. They know what God has called them to. And then 61% of the people are regularly engaging. They're somewhere between a 6 to 10 on the engagement scale. But to me, that's really good. 90, 86% of the people who responded said, yes, I know what my deal is. And 61% of those people say, I'm regularly engaged in that activity. There were a few folks um, on other parts of the scale, but I thought that was pretty encouraging. So using my puzzle picture, it looks like this. Like here's one of the cards. It says, this is their deal, to minister and bring people to God who, one, women who are broken and don't fit in, two, people who love animals, to minister to and love my family. So what I'm saying, that's a puzzle piece. So as that person does that that you just read, uh, they, actually know it's a she, she is being a member, like she's a piece then 
that God can use. Another one. God's plan for me is to be a great healer, a chiropractor. So, as that person is a chiropractor and does that in the power of the Spirit and all that, they're another piece that God can use. We're only going to do a hundred of these, so just hang in there. This person, my deal is to design. Again, see, you get it. So as we're doing the things on the card, and the way you do these things on the card is you do those things you wrote on the back. The way you do this big dream is you actually take the concrete steps that are written on the back. Otherwise, it's just a dream, and it doesn't get anywhere. It's just this big, it's community transformation. It's this great thing, and we can talk about it, and it's a nice slogan. But unless we're actually doing the things that are going to make that, it's never going to happen. So this woman who wrote that down, you know, she has, I'm not going to read it because she has names on the back, but says, I'm going to meet with certain people this week. So as she did that, she's doing her dream, and that gives God, it gives him something to work with. Remember, we closed last week looking at this idea that God said in Genesis, I think it was 39 twice, he said, the Lord gave Joseph success in everything Joseph did, and we said, that's key. He gave him success in what he did, meaning if he didn't do anything, there was no success given. We have to do something to give God. He needs some material to bless. And our doing stuff gives him that material. So as we do these things that we write down, and once you do one, you've got to write another one down, and then you do that. As we actively engage in just the very practical uh, details of our life, as we intentionally engage this dream, it gives God something to bless. There's something there that he can then give success in. You remember that's how we closed last week. That's why it's so important that we actually engage. Otherwise, it just stays up here or it just stays in here. And really, all it does at that point is cause us frustration because we're not seeing anything. We know something to be true, but we're not seeing it. We've got to engage and it gives the Lord something that he can then bless. All right, this is Mark 4. Starting in verse 26, Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel of the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. We're going to shift pictures a little bit. We're still talking about the same thing, this idea of dreaming and doing. I'm just going to shift the picture a little bit, and we're going to use this story over the next few weeks and kind of hone in on what Jesus is talking about here. Again, last week we closed with this idea of doing something that gives God something he can bless. God gave Joseph success in everything he did. Another word for success could be fruit. There was fruit produced by what Joseph did, what Joseph did in Potiphar's house, what Joseph did in the jail cell, and then ultimately what Joseph did when he was second in command of Egypt. He, he did stuff, and he produced fruit. About a month or so ago, we talked about the wake. You remember that? We talked about the wake that people leave behind, and there's a relational wake, and there's a task wake, and you can tell a lot about a person by what they leave behind. Your wake is your fruit. You can look back and see, what have I produced? This sermon is fruit from some of my work this week. It might be good fruit, it might be bad fruit, it might be boring fruit, but it's fruit. It's what I produced. You can think of the conversations you've had this week. You can think of the interactions you've had, the stuff that you've done. You should be able to look back and see fruit. You doing stuff should produce some results. Again, we're not talking whether it's good or bad or whatever. I'm just saying there should be stuff. There should be fruit. There's a wake. And that's really where I want us to begin to push. My 
desire for our church in 2009 is that we would begin to see fruit. We've seen some fruit. I want to see more. I think God produces results. I think he does things that we can grab onto. They're tangible results because he actually does things. He's not just a figment of our imagination. He doesn't just make us feel better. I think he changes things. There should be fruit as we're engaging. As more and more people are doing their deals, we ought to see more and more fruit. Now, I don't give a rip if that fruit happens in this building. That means nothing to me at all. But I care a ton about that fruit happening through this body. God works through the body of Christ, and that's you if you're a Christian. You're, you're part of it. There's nothing you can do about that. You're grafted in by the Holy Spirit, so you're in. And God works through the body, through the church, which you're a part of, and I think he produces fruit. So that's through us. Again, I don't care if, any, I don't care if it happens here or not. That, again, is irrelevant to me, but I care a ton about it happening through this body of people. If we're doing our deal, we should see fruit. And I want to begin to see that. These are two verses from Jesus in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Two quick things. One, we're expected to bear fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Shows that you're my disciples. That's the deal. So we're expected by God to bear fruit. The second thing is the key to bearing fruit is being relationally connected to Jesus. This isn't about us going out and turning the crank and making things happen. This is doing our deal in the guidance of, under the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about that in a few weeks, but just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. This is not about us making things happen, us putting ourselves into the... It's not that at all. It's doing what we're doing as we're relationally connected to Jesus. He's the one that produces the fruit, but he produces it through us. We've got to engage. Again, the Lord gave Joseph success in everything Joseph did. The Lord gave him success, but Joseph did stuff. So we've got to hold both of those things in tension. We're doing things. It's the Lord producing the fruit, but he's producing it through us. And if we're just sitting there, it's, it's not happening. So hold both of those things in mind. So this is kind of where we're going to head over the next few weeks. We're going to use that parable for Mark that I just read the, of the plant growing. And we want to say, well, what does it look like for each one of us to be that plant that produces fruit? And we're going to start today at the very beginning. We're going to start with the seed in the ground. And we're going to say the seed is this, it's your deal. It's this dream that God has for you, plan, God's will, whatever you want to call it. That's the thing. We talked about that last week. This week, we want to look at the condition of your heart, the soil condition of your heart that that seed is planted into. Here's another parable that you've probably heard before. Mark 4, starting in verse 3. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not have grain, so they did not bear grain, excuse me. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 36 to even 100 times. Skip over to verse 14. The farmer sows the word. That's the seed. Some people are like seeds sown along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 36 or even 100 times what was sown. Like I said, we're going to kind of take this. This parable is really about, it's about the gospel and how we respond to it. I'm going to apply it to what we've been talking about. I'm going to apply it to this dream that God has for us. I think there are a lot of parallels, particularly the fact that the message is coming from God. So we're going to look at these four types of soil, and everyone is one. Like you're one of the four, period. Jesus says there's four types, and you're one of those four types, and I'm one of those four types as well. So what I want you to do is just think about who are you. Which one of these four are you? And be honest, it doesn't do you any good to lie to yourself. Just which one of these four are you? The first is the hard soil, which is unreceptive. So that would be like this. There's soil in here. Jesus says that when the seed comes, it, it doesn't penetrate into the ground, and so it's snatched away. So I have some seeds here for um, a delightful fragrance of nestor something, of nesturiums. We just picked them because they have big seeds so you can see so if this is the seed if this is what god's deal is for you and you're hard ground that means you're unreceptive you're like this there's dirt in your heart we want to be good soil you got stuff in there it's not that there's nothing in there there's just kind of like a lid on it and when i drop the seed in it doesn't is that going to produce anything no it can't get to the dirt it's just going to roll around on that whatever that thing is that's keeping it from the dirt. This is some people's hearts. They're hard. They're unresponsive to the Lord. It's not that you don't know. It's not that we don't know. It's that it doesn't penetrate into our heart. These things that the Lord has for us, what he's saying to us, it doesn't penetrate. And the thing to me, the biggie that kind of makes our hearts hard is unchecked sin. If there's, I, sometimes people refer to it as habitual sin. It's doing things that you know are wrong. If you know something is wrong and you continue to do it, that's habitual sin and that will harden your heart quicker than just about anything because every time you do that, you're, you're basically shaking your fist at God saying, I'm doing what I want, not what you want. I know what's wrong and I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And that hardens your heart. It calcifies your heart. So then when the Lord tries to work in your life, you've got this, this thing here, this barrier that keeps anything he's trying to do from penetrating into the soil of your heart. So there's stuff that you know, you know enough to make you feel guilty, and it, but it, all, it just stays right there. It never produces anything. It's just laying on the top of your heart. And the Bible says eventually the enemy will come and he'll just snatch it away. If we continue to harden our hearts towards the Lord, eventually the enemy, the devil, will come and he'll take away this stuff that's sitting right there on the top. It doesn't penetrate and he'll just come and snatch it. Two things specifically that I think will do this. One is any type of sexual sin. From pornography to sex outside of marriage and everything in between. It's not that, that those sexual sins are worse than other type of sins, but they seem sneakier to me. And that type of stuff will cause your heart to harden really quick. I don't know if it's because of the nature of those sins or because there's a kind of a shame component attached to it so we don't tell other people that we're struggling and before we know it, we're in over our head and we can't get out. I don't know what all the dynamics are. I just know it to be true. If you're struggling with some type of sexual sin, you are on the road. This is what you're on the road to. This is what you're going to be. There's all this stuff down here, but there's going to be a hard layer on top of your heart. And God's not going to be able to get in. Every, you're going to know 
but it's not going to get in. It's not going to make a difference in the way you live. And if you're struggling with sexual sin, you know that to be the case. Because you do something, and then you feel guilty, and then you say, I'm never going to do it again, and then you do it again. And then the cycle just keeps going. That's what habitual sin does. It's this vicious cycle. And let me just say straight up, you're not going to be able to break out of it on your own. If you could have broken out of it, you would have done it by now. The fact that you haven't means you can't. So it's not going to work for you. You can't pull yourself out of that hole. It's quicksand and you need a hand. You cannot work yourself out of that hole. If that's you and you're struggling with sexual sin on any level, again, from pornography, lustful thoughts, all the way up to physical acts, you need you, you need to call for help. You need to wave the white flag, whatever you need to do to bring somebody along. By all means, you can come talk to me. I'm not an expert, but I'm not a blabbermouth. So I can at least keep your secret. And we can talk about it, and we can pray, and we can see how to get you through to healing. But I will it, you're not, you cannot do it on your own. You can't. Because if you could, you would have already. So that's the first thing. I'd say sexual sin will put a lid on your heart as quick as anything. And the second is unforgiveness. If you're bitter in your heart towards somebody else, that cuts you off from the grace of God really quick. Jesus says very plainly, if we don't forgive others, we can't receive God's forgiveness for us. That's one of the surest, quickest ways to cut yourself off from the Lord, to harden your own heart if you're unwilling to forgive other people. Again, easy for me to say because I don't know what you've got to forgive people for, but it's, that's, just, that's not me, that's Jesus. And he says it in Matthew, he says it in Mark, and he says it in Luke. If we don't forgive other people, then we cannot receive God's forgiveness. So if that's you, if you struggle forgiving someone, if there's either a particular person you haven't forgiven in the past, or if it's someone who continues to work you over and you have not, uh, it's just difficult for you to continue to forgive them, you need to pull somebody in on that and ask them to help you because that will harden your heart and you won't be able to receive this whatever it is that God wants. Everything will just remain on the surface of your life None of it will penetrate. Second type of soil, rocky soil, is shallow. So that's this. So we've got hard soil, and then we have rocky soil, which is such shallow. There's stuff in there, but there are all these big rocks. So if I take this seed, and I plant it in there, and I push it down and try to get it in the... There's actually hardly any room. So if I get it in there, Jesus says that type of seed actually does take root quickly, and it grows. We'll see how long that takes to grow. Probably not in the time that I'm talking about it. So it's going to grow. And, it, and the Bible says it sprouts up quickly, but it doesn't have any roots. So when oppression or persecution comes because of that seed, but the Bible says because of the word, it dies. The sun scorches it and it withers. And we see this in our own life as well. This is the shallow heart, people who don't have deep roots in the Lord. And this might be you. Several weeks ago, we talked about opposition and temptation and despair and said those things can serve as detours. We looked at Joseph's life and said those things, we look at those things as roadblocks. Well, God, this is what you have for me. And we start bumping into these things. And a lot of us, we give up. And that's shallow soil. When you give up, when you hit an obstacle, it means your roots aren't deep enough. Think of it like this. This may be a little corny. Think of someone who is, you would consider one of your closest people. Spouse. Don't think of a spouse. Best friend. Um, parent. Child. Someone not, that you're not married, who you would consider one of your closest people. Now, say you go home today and you find out that person, whoever it is, took $100 from your wallet on Wednesday. They just took it. They didn't ask. And you find out today. Run through that scenario in your mind. Now, think of that same scenario, somebody taking $100 from your wallet, but instead of it being someone you're close to, 
it's an acquaintance. It's someone in your office, but not someone who you're friends with. It's someone in your neighborhood, but not your buddy. It's just somebody who you happen to run in one of the same circles, but you're not close. You find out they took $100 from you. The differences in your reaction is the difference between deep roots and shallow roots. The people who you have deep roots with, the people who you would say you're the closest with, you've got enough relationship with them that you can kind of, there's some space there before you fly off the handle or before you call the police or whatever it is that you're going to do. There's space. You give them the benefit of the doubt. You say, you know what, I bet they had a good reason. There's, you have enough relationship that you can talk about that. This person who's on the kind of periphery of your life, maybe not. There's not enough root there, and that thing's probably done. Probably wherever they were in your life, you're about to push them a little bit farther out because you say, I can't trust them. That's the difference between deep roots and shallow roots. And when, as you're living your life, when you bump into these obstacles, this temptation, this despair, those things that we talked about, if you don't have deep roots with the Lord, you're going to quit. I guarantee you he's going to disappoint you at some time. He's going to confuse you. There are times where you think he is going to, he's actually trying to ruin your life. You're going to think that. God, what are you doing to me? How much longer is it going to be this way? I'm doing this and you're undercutting me at every turn. You're getting my hopes up and then you're crushing them time after time after time. There are going to be times where you're going to say, I don't even sense you any. Are you still there? Are we still talking? You're going to wonder all of those things. And if you don't have deep roots, you will quit. You'll quit. These things that come up, that come against you, will cause you to wither and die if you don't have deep roots. And the only way I know how to get them is to spend time, just like with the person, the only way to get deep roots is to spend time with them. That's all I know. I don't know any shortcuts. I wish I did, but I don't know any shortcuts for getting deep roots with the Lord. I don't know any shortcuts for getting through all of this rock to get down to the good dirt other than to spend time with the Lord. Spend time reading, spend time praying, spend time worshiping, spend time listening, whatever it is for you to spend time. I don't, there, there are no shortcuts, but I do know this. If you don't have deep roots, you're going to wither because the stuff is going to come. We looked at it with Joseph. It's going to come. You can mark it down. And sometimes it's going to look like it's, it's God doing it. He's the one making it rain. And in those times, if you don't have deep enough roots with him, you're going to quit. You've got to have deep enough roots that you can trust him through those times when it doesn't seem to make sense what he's doing in your life. Third type of soil is weedy soil. Weedy soil is crowded. I think this is a lot of us. Jesus said that the, the weedy soil... You know, there's stuff down here, and you can plant a seed in there somewhere, and it's going to grow, but it's going to be difficult for that thing to grow because there's all this other stuff that's going to choke it out. And Jesus even tells us what this stuff is that's going to choke it out. He names three types of weeds. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. We'll hit these real quick. Worries of this life. I would say right now, your top three concerns. What are the top three things that you're thinking about right now? You don't have to yell them out loud. Thank you, though. I was just giving you time to... I was not clear on that. That's all me. So you think about those three things, whatever they are, job, kids, whatever, summer plant, whatever you're thinking. Those are the worries of this life. None of it's sinful. For most of us, it's not sinful stuff. It's just stuff. And those are the things that can crowd out this dream that God has for you, this deal that God wants for you, wants for you we have all this other stuff that will crowd it out. And some of you, even as you're working, you, you realize that. 
I don't have space to do the things that I need to do to begin to engage the stream because I've got so much else going on. And it's not sinful stuff. A lot of it's good stuff. But it can crowd out God's dreams for you. The second was deceitfulness of wealth. To me, money is the chief rival to God where we live. Maybe not in other places, but where we live, money is number one rival to God because a lot of things God says he will do, money says it can do. God provides for us. Well, so does money. God is a source of security. Well, so is money. God is who gives us our identity. Well, so does money. God grants us access. Well, so does money. There's a lot of things with money that compete with God. Now, right now, the deceitfulness of wealth is being exposed, for sure. Anyone who has their hope in money doesn't have a lot of hope right now, but I guarantee the economy is going to rebound at some point, and money's going to be right back rivaling, rivaling God. So that's the deceitfulness of wealth. The last thing is desires for other things. Again, this is easy. You've maybe heard people say, even the good is an enemy of the best. That's desires for other things. Again, it's not necessarily sinful things. It could be good things. It's just not the thing. And anything that competes with God's deal for you, for your heart, for your life, that's, that's a weed. And, it gets, and the only thing I know to do with weeds is pull them out by the root. Are they gonna come? I don't know anything else that you can do with weeds except pull them out by the root. I would say if you struggle with worries of this life, the way to pull that thing out is to grow in love. I think worry is rooted in fear, and in 1 John we read that perfect love casts out fear. So if you're someone who worries, you need to get into a place where you can receive more of God's love for you. It's really more about him loving you than you loving him. If you can get to a, the, the more you understand in your heart that how God loves you, the easier it will be for you not to worry because you'll know he's got it. The deceitfulness of wealth, the only thing I know to do is give. Every time you choose to give, you're saying, my life is not based on money. Now, you might say my life is not based on money, but if you're not giving anything, you're probably lying. There's, there's, that's tangible evidence. Every time you give money away, every time you choose to give, you're saying my security is not in money, my provision is not in money, my identity is not in money. My status is not in money. Every time you choose to give it away, because you're giving away those things. That means when you give it away, if you hold on to it, never mind. That's that. You don't have to give it here, but you need to give it somewhere. There needs to be some place that you're regularly giving money away. Otherwise, this deceitfulness of wealth, it will grow in your heart. Last, if you struggle with desires for other things, trust. You have to trust at some point God's a good father and he's going to give you that good stuff and so you don't have to go chasing it. And that's that. That's just trusting that God's a good father and he's going to give you these good things. We've talked before about Psalm 37, 4, that if we delight in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. If we can trust in that, then I don't have to chase the desires of my heart because my father is going to give them to me. All of those things are a little more difficult to put in practice than in my 90-second explanation, but those, that's the only thing I know to do if you have a crowded heart. And lastly, good soil is receptive. This is what we want. We want soil like that, where we can plant something in there and it will germinate, develop roots, it will grow and it will produce fruit. It'll, you can get a plant here, you can get a plant here, you're going to get nothing here. You're not going to get good fruit out of either of these middle two. The rocky and the weedy, you might get something, but it's going to be weak. This is going to produce fruit. And the way Jesus talks, he's saying it's a bumper crop, 30, 60, 90 times what is sown. That's exponential fruit. That's a bonanza. And that's the type of thing that we're looking for. And I'm going to close with this just real quick. 
the seed produces the fruit, not the soil. It's not my responsibility to make stuff happen. It's my responsibility to have this type of a heart. My job is to cultivate my heart. So if I've got, if I've got a hard heart, I need to repent of my sins to get this lid off. If I've got a rocky heart, I need to develop deeper roots. If I've got a weedy heart, I need to pull them out. My job is to cultivate my heart so that I have good soil, so I can receive whatever it is that got this dream, this deal that God has for me. The fruit is in the seed. Whatever these things are called that I can't pronounce. Nasturtiums. She said that without even looking at it. So, nasturtiums. The nasturtium is in this seed. It's not in this dirt. This is what makes the nasturtium. This provides the conditions for this to make the nasturtium. The same thing is true for us. My heart creates conditions for this deal that God has for me to grow and to flourish. But the power for it to grow and to flourish is in the seed. That's that first parable that we looked at. While the farmer's sleeping, this crop grows, this plant grows. And so that's what we want to grab onto. It's not a matter of us making this thing happen and us producing. It's, it's what we talked about at the beginning. As we abide in Jesus, as we cultivate hearts that look like that, as we cultivate good soil, then the seeds that he plants within us can grow and produce fruit. So we'll talk about that more in the future. All right. You guys want to come back up? Y'all have a song? All right, I'm going to pray. This might be a little rocky for an uh, um, ending for us. We've got several things that we need to do. I'm going to pray about this, and then we want to pray for Zach and Mallory. We want to commission them. Uh, they're leaving to go to New Zealand on Wednesday, and then we also need to do the elders deal as well. So I'm going to pray about this, and then we'll jump into those other things.